my name is Philip Torres. For those who don't know me, I'm married to Renee, sitting in front here. And uh, it's my privilege this morning and my responsibility. It's not just a privilege, but it's a responsibility when we open up the Word of God. Our responsibility is to make sure we accurately represent and present the Word of God. And um, what we find in the diamond age we live in is these moments are really critical moments when we open up God's Word, that we don't let intimidation and anything else to, or just the trends of the world and the things of the world influence the Word of God. Because our freedom is behind us staying in line with the Word of God. Christian spoke last week about in the Multiply series that we're doing, he spoke about the principle of first, putting God first. Doesn't mean the rest doesn't belong to God. It just means that we are stewards of everything, but we put God first. And when you put God first in everything, things start to work out. Things make sense when you put God first. Do want to encourage you. It's an incredible sermon. Go and listen to it. Next week, we'll continue about sowing and reaping and talking about the outflow of this. My privilege this morning is speaking about Multiply the concept of steward what belongs to God. I'm going to speak about the concept of stewardship. Father, I thank you as we open up our hearts this morning. Lord, may your word become alive in our soul and may it bear lasting fruit. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've just prayed that prayer. The song we sang is a prayer. And I did not speak to Marika what songs to sing. But you're going to find it very amazing. What I'm preaching this morning, you just sang it. So let's just take the songs and let's apply it to our lives and then let's go live the songs. So let's dive into it. Matthew 25, verse 14 to 30. I'm going to read a quite a lengthy passage, but it's important. It's a well-known passage. It says, For it be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them his property. To one he gave five talents, to other two, to other one one. To each one according to his ability. Then he went away, and he who had re- um, received the five talents went at once and traded with them and made five more talents. So also did the one with two talents made two talents more. But he who had one talent went and dug into the ground, in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and to settle accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I made five, more tal- five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I have set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And so the one with two talents came forward, saying, Master, you have delivered to me two talents here. I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I have set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He who had received one talent came forward saying to his master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping what you did not sow and gathering where you, um, where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and went and hid my talent in the ground. Here you have yours. And he gave him the one talent back. But his master answered, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have um, invested my money with the bankers, and my coming I should have received what was mine with my own interest, with interest. 
So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For the everyone who has will more be given, and he who have uh, till he have abundance. But from him who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into outer darkness, in that place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now we read this passage and it's kind of, wow, there's a lot of good in it and there's a lot of weeping and gnashing of teeth in it. And I want to bring some perspective as we go through this passage, what does really talk about? What is this passage about? Let's go to the first verse. He says, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them his property. He talks about a man. He's talking about a man who goes on a journey. He's going away far to another place. And he's talking about his servants and his property. It's, it's very clear what he's talking about here. So we're talking about a man. What is Jesus talking about here? Jesus is giving them a very short synopsis, a very short summary of the creation. Let me go to it. Genesis 1. I'm going to give you a summary. In the beginning, God, the man, created the heavens and the earth. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God said, let, there be, let light be day, and night be do- uh, the darkness be night. Verse 6, and God said, let there be an expansion between the waters to separate the water from water. And then God said, let there be sky. And they gather in one place, and let there be dry ground. And he created the earth. Then God said, let there be land produce vegetables, seed-bearing plants, and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And then God says, let there be lights, mark the seasons and days, and he started the seasons and days, and, and lights and, and, and darkness all over the earth. Verse 20, and God says, let the water teem with living creatures, and let the birds fly. Imagine you were part of that moment. I mean, you're standing there, and you're kind of like a, just an outsider looking, God says, birds, wow. And he says, Animals, wow. Creatures, wow, look at this. I mean, just imagine when we get to heaven one day, we're going to watch this movie of God creating heaven and earth. We're going to see that movie. It's going to be in 20D. I mean, literally going to be there and see. I mean, and it's going to, no technology will be able to trump this moment where you go and you see light and day and everything. And God comes, there's nothing and it's formless. And suddenly God comes, says, yeah, it's going to be 2 million years distance. It's not the point. The point is it was created. The point was there is a master creator behind it. And he made everything. And he makes it beautiful. And he's excited about what he's made. And then he comes to this moment. And he says, let us make. And God says, verse 22, let us make the animals and everything. And it's interesting. He says, let the animals and the birds and everything be fruitful and increase in number. And that's it. Nothing more. And fill the earth and fill the sky. And then God says, and let the land produce creatures and everything, livestock and everything on it. Each, a lot of, you know, different kinds. What is God saying? He's making everything. You see, in the beginning, there was a man. And then he talks about his property. He's talking about creation. It's everything is. You see, the fundamental principle of biblical stewardship is that God owns Everything, we are simply managers or administrators acting on His behalf. I'm not telling you something from a church point of view so that you can start to give more money. 
I'm trying to help you to get out of death into life. I'm trying to make a a world shift this morning. This message this morning was weighty on my soul because I know that if you can see this, it will literally radically change your whole way of thinking. It will change your view of life. It will change your view of finances. It will change your view of whatever you thought you owned. It will change everything and it will literally put you in a place where new life can flow into your soul and you'll see the reason why there's so much death on the earth. Destruction. Because it's his property. We are called as God's stewards to manage that which belongs to another. Belongs to God. While God has graciously entrusted us with the care, the development, the enjoyment, even that, of everything he owns. I mean, my sons enjoy my house. They enjoy, I mean, I go hunt and make biltong. They enjoy the biltong. They enjoy living under my roof. They enjoy the privilege of putting on a TV and it works. I mean, they wake up in the morning and there's hot water. They don't even know where it comes from. But they enjoy it. God wants us to enjoy earth and enjoy everything. But he is the one who owns everything. And we are his stewards. We are responsible to manage his holdings well and account according to his desire and his purposes. See, friends, the first place is the man is God, Jesus. He's talking about God, the triune God, the owner of everything. He talks about his earth, his possessions, everything on the earth. John 1 verse 12, everything on the earth that was made was made by him. And if there's anything made that was not made by him, there's nothing. Everything belongs to God. The scripture is not, you know, some stuff in the scriptures is a little mystical. You don't know exactly what it's saying. When is Jesus coming back? How will it come back? There's not clear scripture you can say this is what the Bible is saying. But there are some scriptures that are as crystal clear as me standing in front of you. And the reason why it's clear is because it helps us because that's where freedom comes from. Because the truth will set you free. These are one of those scriptures that is crystal clear that God is the owner. So then he comes to the last part. He says, who are then these servants? Who's he talking about? So God went on in verse 27. So God then continued with creation. And he says, I've made everything. It's beautiful. But I want to share this with somebody. I don't want to just, the triune God. I mean, it was, it was not just another idea. God in his whole makeup loves it so much. He's such a relational God. When you go and study the triune God, when you go and study that God, one God, three persons in one, and you see how they operate, the whole thing is based on true relationship. That's why oh, we experience spiritual family. Friends, it's not what we manufacture. When we come along with God, this should be the outflow. Your marriage should be the outflow. Your parenting should be the outflow. The whole creation is built on loving relationships because the triune God is it. He calls us into a different universe. He calls us out of our insecurities. He calls us out of the, the way we think in life and all the stuff in life. And he calls us into another world, a world where the triune God rules. And he calls us into that relationship so we can rule with him. He calls us into a total different life that this life can never offer you. He says, let us make man in our image. And let's call this man in our image. We bring him male and female. He created him. God blessed him and said, be fruitful and increase. There, animals stop. And then he says, 
fill the earth and subdue it. And now, man, I'm going to make you co-steward with me. You rule over it. Nowhere does he say you rule over human beings. No, I made man in my image. I rule over human beings. You cannot rule. You cannot suppress. You are not. There is, whenever you see human beings being suppressed, it's not God. It is the sinful nature of man. He says you rule over nature. You rule over the birds. You, I give you everything. And listen to what God is saying. It says, I am giving you in this, God says, is his property. In this property, he gave the one five, the one two. Let me show you what he said. It says, I will give you in every seed-bearing plant on the face of the earth and every tree that has seed, fruit with seed in it. I'm giving you everything you need that can multiply. I'm giving everything in your ability. Whatever I put in your table already has inside of it the full potential to fulfill my will for your life. Nothing on earth is restraining you. It is your mentality. It's the way you see things. It's the way you believe about things. Everything was made with the potential to multiply that God has given us. He just wants us to be faithful. We don't have to multiply. We don't have to manufacture the potential. Potential is in what we have. What do you have? What do you have today? It continues in verse 15. He gave to the one five and to the one two. He says, according to their ability. He's a fair God. He says, I'm going to give this person two because I know you can handle two. And I know I want you to be faithful with two. And then he gave the one five and he says, handle it. And then he gave the one one who went down and put it in the ground. Now, what is stewardship? It's the responsibility to steward something that belongs to someone else. The first and the second stewards, they went and they multiplied what God's given them. And the third one took what he had and he actually put it away. A steward is is one who managed the possessions of another. We all are stewards of the resources, the abilities, the opportunities, your gifts, your talents that God has entrusted to our care. And one day, each one of us will be called to give an account of how we manage what the master has given us. C.S. Lewis said the following, every faculty you have, your power of thinking, or your moving, um, um, or moving your limbs from movement to movement, moment to moment, is given you by God. If you devote every moment of your whole life exclusively to His service, you could not give anything, him anything that was not in a sense his already. You cannot God give God anything that is actually not his already. See, verse 19 goes further. He's talking about the master came back from the far place which Jesus left earth. He spoke to his disciples. He said, he has everything. Then he said, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. You see what this parable is about? It says, and then he comes from the far place. He's coming back. He's coming back to what? He's coming back to the saints. He's talking about his servants are those born again believers that believe in God. He's coming back to them. And then he's talking about the talents. And he started to ask them for an account. And the one with the five and the one with the two came and said, we had a hundredfold increase. Both of them had the exact increase, and God responded with the exact same attitude. 
good and faithful steward. You were entrusted with little. I will give you much. He did not treat the one with five better than the one with two. Because this was not about rich and poor. This scripture is taken out of context. The one with the one is the poor. That's not what the scripture is about. That is not even the intention of the original writers that that was I was talking about. They were not talking about the one who had much as the rich and the one with the little is the poor. He was talking about a responsibility of stewardship of what's entrusted to you. The one with five was faithful with the five. The one with two was faithful with the two. And God says, therefore, I will bless you. Imagine the one came back with another one. God would have had the exact same response. Good and faithful steward. With little you will be faithful. With much I will entrust you. No, but the one went away and he not only misused, he actually didn't use it. And God responded. And you feel, this is harsh. He said, even what you have will be taken away from you. Friends, that harsh will be taken away from you. You need to get it into context. Is this harsh? Or is this just? What does God, what is, what is God want from us? Does He want money? Is it it's just, you know, because it looks like many people in greed, just you give money, you want money. You know, we, some people approach God in that way. You know, God's this prosperity God. You just throw money out and God gives you money back, you know. It's like a genie. You throw money, you rub his tummy, he pops out money. You know, and then if God doesn't pop out money, you kind of, oh, I don't like this God because I gave and I sowed. You see, a lot of the false teachings out there gives you a wrong perspective of stewardship. Gives you an unbiblical approach to God. It positions God in a place where He owes us. Just how a dishonoring is it to think that the owner owes us? It's such an unbiblical. That's why our whole lives are running after this and that, and we in fear, and I need to get a salary and this income and that. That's not the point of the Bible. He's calling us into the triune God relationship. And He's calling us into ruling over the earth. Verse 28 says, so take that talent away from this man and give it to the one who has ten. Till you have abundance. He's talking about an unfaithful servant. He's giving it to the faithful one. It says, everyone who has will get more. And those who don't have, even what they have will be taken away from them. Turn to Matthew 13 verse 12. The same emphasis. For to the one who has, more will be given. And they will have till they have his abundance. But to the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. That passage is where it talks about the seed that was sown on the ground and was sown on the field and everything. And it says, wherever that's sown, it says the word of God goes into their roots. And because it's on the hard soil, it didn't go deep and sunny. That didn't bear fruit. And it goes to different places where the wheat comes and it suffocates. So this is not talking about money there. Why is he connecting these same passage? Because it's never a bit about money. It's about the principle of what is this treasure we want? God says it's a man who finds a field and he finds a treasure in the field. He runs away and he goes and he sells everything he's got to go and buy this field. What can you sell that God wants that is of value? Nothing. God says go and sell your sinful life. I'll take it because it has a value to me. The value is when you sell your sinful life, I get you. And then he goes and buy what? You buy not a land that you can, you buy something else. 
you give up sinful life, you get God. You get God. You get God. You get the opportunity to be restored into that triune relationship. You get the ability to start to walk in a total different world where you can walk in unity with God and relationship with God and the stuff in our soul and the death in our soul and the disconnection and disunity and the fears and all the uncertainty suddenly because of this relationship with the triune God slowly start to be washed out of our souls and we start to walk in this amazing relationship with Him. This whole thing about the treasure, the Father, it says even what He has will be taken away. It's a deeper understanding of who God is and a deeper relationship with God that we are after, friends. This is not about the rich and the poor. This is not about the one who has one and the one many is rich and poor. No, even if the one with the five took the five, and let's say he multiplied the five, and he came back to the owner, and he says, oh, I only got your five back. Christ would have treated him exactly the same. It's about unfaithfulness and not about how much you have. I want you to look at these charts. I just want to give you just a glimpse quickly. When you look at poverty mentality, see the world's emphasis on poverty versus prosperity. Possessions are evil or unattainable. For the prosperity view is achievable and entitlement. It's, it's my right. I work to meet my basic needs in poverty. Prosperity is I work to become rich. Godly people are poor in their view, in the poor man's view. In the prosperity, godly people are wealthy. We start to separate, you know, people from their income status and economy, if they, you know, godly or not. Or the ungodly says people are rich and proud. In the prosperity view says they're poor and humble. In the poverty view says I give because I must. In prosperity, I give because I want more. My spending when it comes to poverty is fearful and joyless. In prosperity, is careless and consumptive. In poverty, my motivation is motivated by fear and greed. Interesting, by prosperity, the motivation is also fear and greed. Let's look at a biblical perspective. See, here we see the wrong emphasis we just spoke about. Possessions are evil and, oh, it's my entitlement, my right. In biblical perspective, it's not my entitlement, it's not my right, it's my responsibility. When it comes to wrong emphasis, I work to meet basic needs or to become rich. In a biblical perspective, I work to serve Jesus. It's for His glory and for His purposes because I'm a steward. Godly people, you know, talk about poor and wealthy. Biblical talk about faithful and fruitful. Ungodly people, wealthy versus poor. Biblical people talk about unfaithful. I give because I must or I hate. Biblical students, I give because I love God. My spending is fearless, joyless, or careless or consumptive. Biblicalism in my spending is prayerfully and responsibility. So responsible. In the wrong perspective, we're motivated by fear and greed. In the biblical perspective, it's motivated by love and generosity. Friends, if you look at this and you look at these scriptures, 1 Timothy, he sees not just talking about the poor and the rich, he's talking about a principle of life, how we look at property, how we look at everything we have. And we bring it back into a biblical perspective. Timothy turns his attention to the rich. Listen to this. In 1 Timothy 6 verse 17 to 20. As for the rich in this present age, charge, the other, other translation says, instruct or command them to not be haughty, proud, or arrogant, 
nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready, willing to share. Thus store up for themselves um, as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of what of that which is truly life. He's talking about rich. He's talking about investment. He's talking about command them. Now let me give you a few principles from the scripture. He says, careful becoming high-minded, excluding yourself from what is expected from normal people. Be careful to become proud and arrogant towards what does not belong to you. Building a false confidence on uncertainty of riches as the answer to everything and in turn miss out on the true riches, which is God. You could easily go for those things and find them, but at the same price, not understanding the cost of getting these riches, you're missing out on the true riches, which is God. How many people have lost God because of earthly riches? He warns them to false, finding, false security and have a confidence in wealth. It can be lost. How do you know it's earthly wealth? Can it be stolen? Then it's earthly wealth. He says it's not wrong, but don't put all your security in that because it can be stolen. But he says build up your faith and confidence in God in His true riches who makes you rich to enjoy, yes, but to also be willing to share. He also enriches you that you can be generous with whatever He's given you to serve Him with your wealth, laying up in store a good foundation against the time to come. He's, not, he's saying, make sure that what you do on earth, whatever you have, the one, the two, the five, the ten, that doesn't matter, but whatever you have, make sure you use this to invest somewhere else, not just keep on investing here. If you have something, you're investing something into a life way beyond this life. Make sure whatever you do puts an investment in eternal where nothing can steal. So what you have, you have an opportunity to actually make a much greater investment that goes way beyond your 50 years on earth. It goes and it echoes in eternity. Paul is using, he's talking about this view that we have internal view. And it's interesting where Paul speaks to Timothy and he says, Timothy, go to these people and charge them. What is he saying? Just Timothy, I want to help you as a young minister. Don't let rich people intimidate the gospel. Don't withhold the gospel from rich people. Don't change your message because you want to please people. Make sure you preach a pure gospel that calls everybody to submit to one God. And everybody with no exemption, I expect the same. I will keep them accountable for whatever they have, how they steward it, and how they steward it in my sight. Matthew 6 verse 19, he's talking about treasure the whole time. I said, do not lay up for yourself treasure on earth where moth and rust destroys and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Let me explain this. It says, there where your heart is, your wallet will follow. 
There where your heart is, your wallet will follow. When the heart gets saved and the wallet stays unsaved, the heart will ultimately start to follow the wallet again. You have to get your wallet saved. You have to bring your wallets under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Biblical investment does include, yes, gold and silver and all the stuff we have on earth and stocks and shares and buildings. It does. But it would be such a short-sighted investment if you think it's only that. It does include to understand, Lord, whatever you've given us, you've given us seed bearing plants with seed in it. We need to take the seed and multiply it. Whatever you have, may your business grow, may your life grow, may you grow. I remember when I started off, man, I got a little salary. You know, I was all, I've always been in full-time ministry, and I've always been dependent on that. But God challenged me from the beginning, says, your income does not dictate your future. I remember when my friends went to go and study engineering, they would get seven times my salary from the start. As I'm standing here today, by God's grace, I have seen and experienced things in incredible ways, not only just in what God has done in my personal life, financial life, but also what God has done in my relationships, what God has done in my life. Why? Because I've realized that I am God's and everything I have is His. Many years back, one of my best friends said, Phil, let's go to Europe. Let's go and work there. Let's make money. Let's travel throughout Europe. I said, that's incredible. I'd love to do that. Let me just ask my boss. And he said, who's your boss? I said, Jesus. I said, are you going to pray about it? Because he says, yes, I'm going because then I'll be protected. My insurance needs to say yes. I went to Jesus and said, no. You're not going to travel now. I'm going to miss out on seeing the nations. Oh, so I went and I kind of prayed about it. And God said, no. Okay, Lord, that's right. And I stayed behind. Then he went overseas. And he traveled. Then he made money. And he saw a few nations. I've been to over 40 nations in my life. And most of them was paid by God. I never planned on doing it. I mean, I went, why? Because the moment I'm saying that's what's going to happen with you, I'm just saying that's what happened with me. I mean, today I'm looking back, this poor friend of mine, I'm really loving him. I'm praising God for his life. I've been reaching out to him. He's got divorced. His whole life has started to go into all kinds of different directions. Because it's not about do you want to tour Europe. It's about do you have Jesus as your boss. Then you can tour Europe if he says yes. You can do whatever if he says yes. You see, it's ultimately we come aligned with God and we allow God to rule our lives. Let me conclude with this. I'm reading a really good book, The Drama of Scripture. I want you to see this painting of Michelangelo. I want you to see this. And I want you to think about this. Imagine that you are a 15th century sculpture. Now that's just a painting. He says, and one day you receive a message from Michelangelo himself asking you if he'd be willing to come to his studio and complete his piece of work that he began. And he mentions that you are, he's expecting you to continue his work in such a way that Michelangelo's own reputation will be enhanced after you finish the work. How will you do this painting? Will you carefully do this painting? Imagine you come back and suddenly on this side, there's red and all kinds of other colors and it's kind of, you know, funny. It looks like a great one that's drawn on it and everything. And, you know, 
You see, what happens is what we don't understand when we live in compartmentalized Christianity. It's I'm Afrikaans, I live now, I've got two kids, I've got a wife, I'm driving in, I'm going out, I'm reading this passage in the Bible and this passage, and I put them together and I create a fruit salad Christianity. Now he says, if you don't see the bigger picture, and you realize what this is all about, and you know that in within this big picture, you are not the main character. You are just one off. In yes, it includes you. You're in the midst of this whole eternal, you know, picture painting. We find our space in it, but I'm just in it. I'm not it. And I need to know that I have a responsibility to whatever I have to steward that well. So that we paint the pitching all together. We paint this picture perfectly. We finish the sculpture perfectly so that the one who owns it will be glorified. Therefore, he who has not seen this, or even what he has, will be taken away from him. Friends, you and I have an incredible responsibility. From Genesis right to Revelations, it is clear. God is the owner. We are not. We are his servants. The nature of our relationship with God is expressed in how we look after His property, His creation. And we do not merely, I mean, and we do this not merely as individuals, but as partners. I want you to listen to this statement. God created everything good and for His glory. The fall introduced sin and rebellion against God and presented man as His own God taking over ownership from God over his own life and creation and set himself up to rule and reign over God's creation as if he's the creator of his own world. How many people are not creating their own world? This affects the downfall of, of, is the downfall of society. Creation and everything we see in it as God the creator is left off the, off the stage of our lives and we are left upon all of it lift up to ourselves. The offer of life eternal, eternally is only to be found in a wholehearted giving up of independent, autonomous lives embracing God as the creator and owner of everything. Only then is death exchanged back to life. Where we reign and rule, death follows. Where God rules and reign, life follows. Autonomy means the following, means choosing oneself as the source of determining what is right and wrong, rather than relying on God's word for direction. Satan wants to set us up, friends, to live autonomous, thinking we are the creators and the owners of our own world, because he wants death to keep on penetrating your marriage. He wants death to keep on penetrating our lives and our families. He wants you to overwork. He wants you to chase after more money. He wants you to neglect the things that brings life so that you will not have life and ultimately it destroys everything inside of you. The story demonstrates clearly that humans now after the fall into sin have a terrible capacity to misdirect their lives. No human being brings life by owning their life. It's only when we surrender and hand over our lives to Christ that He rules and reigns. It's only when we bring Him back as the master of everything. It's only when we declare He is the owner of everything. You see, the sad part of the message of tithing, it empowers people to still misrepresent and mistreat God's resources. Because they think, oh, a tenth, let me do, and a ninety, no. It is just a principle of stewardship the 100% still belongs to Him. 
I'm still a steward of that. Generosity starts after I'm done with my tithing. How do I now start to sow? Go on a mission. Do something. Go. Let's think about, Lord, how do we finish that painting? How do we finish this picture on earth as your people? And together we're all in this because we are His children. You can give up today being the owner and start to sleep again because He's the owner. And you can say, Lord, how do I steward what you've entrusted with me? Some of you have been entrusted with much. Be a steward of much. Why don't you say, Lord, how do we build your kingdom? You cannot be a Christian businessman and not be about Christ and Christ's mission. Cannot be Christian. Because it's about His purpose on earth. Father, we thank You for this morning. We thank You for the big picture. From Genesis to the end. It's all one picture. And we find ourselves in the middle of the story. Thank you for including us. Help us to understand it's not about us. We are not the main character. You are. Move our minds. Where are you sitting this morning? I'm asking you, are you willing to say, Lord, I've got some faulty thinking. Will you be willing to say, Lord, I'm giving up. That doesn't mean you're not going to be the steward. It means now you're only you actually becoming the rightful steward. You can't just let it neglect it and let it run out. You have to look after it. But now you do it with a different motivation. I do this for the glory of God. I'm not doing this for the security of my own life. Don't you want to this morning give up your rights? Don't you want to be this morning the one that Paul speaks to and say, command the rich to give up their entitlement and say, Lord, this is yours. It's all yours. How do I steward this well? Father, we bless your people. You've given your people the ability to multiply, to increase. May that happen. Father, may we never come to the place where we do the five and we multiply to another five. And we think the other five is mine. Lord, may we bring it before your feet and expect from you the reward that you give us to enjoy. I pray for breakthrough. Lord, in people's hearts and those who are sitting and feel the strain of finances. I pray, Holy Spirit, help us to change first our thinking that we will not be motivated by fear or greed but by your love and your purposes. Help us, show us what we have. You're sitting here this morning, you say, what do I have? Why don't you go sit before God and take, even if it's just one, be faithful with that one. Be faithful with that too. And allow God to start to multiply that. And as we are faithful with the little, God will entrust you with more. He's a faithful God. Your answer is not in the government. Your answer is in the master of the universe. Honor him. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.